We're conscious tonight of our need of You. I'm conscious of our my need of You, Father, in speaking words about Your beloved Son. I pray, Father, You would guide my words that they would be true. And Father, we ask that You would speak to us you would conform us into the image of your Son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. This is the second session of seven. Last week we looked at an introduction. We had an introductory class. Thinking about theology of emotions. We kind of set some groundwork for the rest of this series. And so if you haven't listened to that uh, session, you can go online and go to our website and you can get it there. Uh, there are some class notes. Just want to welcome those who are watching online as well. There are class notes that are available on our website. You can download them there if that is helpful. Again, our pattern is going to be kind of a threefold pattern as we w- walk through these different emotions of Christ. We're going to be defining key words. We're going to be observing those places in the Gospels where that emotion is described. And then third, we're going to try to apply. We want to learn, right, together. We're going to apply this, what we learn, to our lives. One of the reasons I emphasize definitions is because I believe in verbal inspiration. And that means that the authors of Scripture were guided by the Holy Spirit even down to the very words they used. What I'm trying to say is that when we look at these specific words in the Gospels that describe an emotion of Christ, we're not just reading the words that the human authors chose to describe Jesus' emotion, but we're, we're reading the words that the divine author, the Spirit of God, chose to communicate to us what Christ is like, and then ultimately, of course, what God is like, since Christ shows us the Father. So we're going to dive right in with the defining our key word. Tonight's pretty simple. We only have one word we're looking at, and it's this word that you see right there in your notes, splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. This is the emotion. This is, this is compassion. It is the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And so it's a great place to start our study. What does it mean, splanknizomai? It means to have pity, or compassion on someone. To have one's heart go out to someone, usually because of some perceived need in the person. The word is actually based on the word splanknon, which is the Greek word for intestines. And so it speaks of this visceral, internal response that we have to someone in need. Of course, the word compassion is closely related to the word Mercy, the terms mercy, the term love, these are very closely related words. A.W. Tozer defines God's mercy as an infinite and inexhaustible storage or energy within the divine nature which disposes God to be actively compassionate. I like the way he puts that because it is an infinite and inexhaustible. You can't tap, you, you can't run out of it energy which disposes God to be actively compassionate. B.B. Warfield writes that this compassionate mercy really has two parts to it. 
There's the internal part, and then there's the outward expression of it. There is an internal movement of pity, and then as he writes it, there is the external act of beneficence, the good that is done that results the result of that feeling. The word splanchnizomai emphasizes the internal feeling. The word mercy, which comes from the Greek word eleos, emphasizes more the external action that follows the internal feeling of compassion. Okay, so, so compassion begins, splanchnizomai begins internally, and then it is expressed as eleos, showing mercy on a person in need. What is interesting is that in the Gospels, the word eleos, the word mercy, is never attributed to Jesus Christ. Now, we know that in the Word of God, God is clearly a God of mercy. But the, but the word mercy, the word eleos, is never the word that the Gospel writers chose to speak of Christ. The word is always splanchnizomai. It's always compassion. It's always an emphasis on that internal feeling that he experienced within himself. And this is the word then that we want to consider together. So let's move from definition now to observation. We're going to spend the bulk of our time tonight here on observation. We're going to be looking at five different passages. Now, if you're a really knowledgeable reader of the Bible, you know that we're missing a sixth passage where the word splanchnizomai is used. And I'm skipping that passage purposefully. It's in the Gospel of Mark. And it's because it's a very complicated passage and story. Of course, this is the one you want to hear because it's complicated. It's interesting. But it's, it's complicated in regards to studying his emotions. So I'm going to skip it. But I'm also skipping it because it is not, we're not absolutely sure that this word compassion is the word that is being used. It's, it's a debate. There could be another word. So because I'm not even sure that the word splunknizomai is used in that passage, we're going to leave it to the side. Is that fair? We're going to look at these five passages where we're absolutely sure Jesus felt, and we're told he felt, this emotion of compassion. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Now, you'll note that your notes are fairly sparse, not too many fill in the blanks, so it's up to you to take good notes. Um, And I'm doing that somewhat purposefully, uh, so I'm going to leave that to you all. Five passages. First one, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse 35. This is the very first time, both sequentially and possibly chronologically, that we read about Jesus experiencing this emotion of compassion. And so we're going to begin right here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion. There's our word. It's Felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so in verse 35, we see that Jesus has been traveling from town to town, village to village, city to city, ministering. He's on this itinerant ministry. He's healing people. He's teaching people. 
And what we see here then, this emotion of compassion is not an emotion that wells up within him when he observes one particular group of individuals. But this is something that takes place after... This is a collective, this is a response collectively to many different people in many different places, in many different settings. He's been going from place to place and as he goes from place to place, he keeps seeing the same thing. What does he see? Well, he sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're distressed. They're dispirited. The picture here is of sheep who without a shepherd to guide them have been wounded either because of hostile animals or difficult terrain and out of hopelessness, and I'm told this is what sheep will do, out of hopelessness and desperation they drop to the ground completely helpless. They're so beat up, they're so turned around, they're so lost that they just lay down and they give up. And Jesus is looking out on all these different people, from town to town, village to village, you keep seeing the same thing. People who have given up. People who are lost spiritually. He sees widespread need, overwhelming need. Thousands upon thousands of people without a shepherd, spiritually wounded, hopeless, in need of care and healing, salvation. And it was this scene that evoked within Jesus' heart compassion. And what we see here is that Jesus' compassion knows no bounds. You could write that down. It knows no bounds. It knows no limits. Jesus' compassion is never overwhelmed. He has an enormous capacity for compassion. I don't know if it's like this for you, but I know it's like this for me. There's a tendency in the face of overwhelming need to dismiss it, to ignore it, to turn away from it because there's nothing I can do about it anyway. And so I need to get it out of my mind. But this is not the way Jesus responds. His heart is stirred within Him. We see that this capacity, we also see in Jesus here capacity to look beyond the merely physical. I know for you and for me, I think this is a human trait. We tend to look at the human. We look at the visible. We look at the outward appearance. But here Jesus Christ is able to look beyond the physical needs and he sees their spiritual needs. When he speaks of sheep without a shepherd, he's particularly thinking of their spiritual distress. And it was primarily their spiritual condition that evoked within Jesus this feeling of compassion. What does Jesus do? What, what does this feeling of compassion cause him to do? Well, what's interesting is it causes him to ask his disciples to pray. It's very interesting. I mean, here's the Son of God. But in the face of overwhelming need, he calls on his disciples to pray for more workers. And I believe this is instructive for us. The need out there is great. And it's beyond the capacity of any single human being. But Jesus instructs us here to plead with God for more workers. Presumably, the disciples did pray. 
And in the very next chapter, we find that the disciples end up being the answer to their own prayer as Jesus sends them out two by two into the surrounding villages to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. And so what do we do when we are faced with overwhelming needs? The millions of people who don't know Christ. The millions of people who've never heard of Christ. The millions of people who daily experience oppression, some form of oppression. And it doesn't even have to be way out there. What about just right around us? Perhaps you're aware of overwhelming need in your own life, in people right around you. Do our hearts grow cold? Do we ignore it? Do we turn away from it? There's always something we can do about it. We can always turn to our Father. We can always pray. We can pray that God might meet that need and send out workers to minister to that need. So what is Jesus doing here in this passage? He's not just sharing His heart, but He's also instructing His people. What is He instructing us to do? First of all, to be aware of the need. See the need. Secondly, pray about the need. And third, be ready to be the answer to your own prayer. So that's the first passage, Matthew chapter 9. But we're moving forward to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now we're going to be moving fairly quickly, covering five passages in 50 minutes. And so this is not an exhaustive study of each passage. But we do want, our focus here is on this particular emotion of compassion. We do want to learn certain lessons through these passages. So let's look at Luke chapter 7. We have here a fascinating story. A glimpse into the heart of Christ. We begin reading in verse 11. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterwards... He, that is Jesus, went to a city called Nain and his disciples were going along with him accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among his people. God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding district. Now we have a story that's quite a contrast to the previous passage. In the last story, we saw Jesus' Jesus's heart of compassion for humanity, for the multitudes. But here we see Jesus' heart of compassion for the individual. It's personal. Jesus is always ministering at two levels. There's something important for us to, to understand here. He's ministering to the crowds. He's he's ministering to the multitudes, but he's also ministering to individuals. There's the crowd. You see that in the Gospels, but there's the individual 
aspect, the personal aspect. And I think this is an illustration of an important theological point. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. So on one level, God has love and compassion and mercy for all people. He makes provision for all people. And He calls all people to repent and receive mercy. But on a deeper, more intimate level, God loves and shows compassion and mercy to individuals in a very personal way, meeting their individual needs. God is aware of the needs of the almost 8 billion people on the face of this earth. He's aware of them. But He's also aware tonight of your personal needs, my personal needs, individually. He's aware of it all collectively. He's aware of it all individually. He's a personal God. But I also want you to note in this passage one other aspect of His compassion, and that is that not only is His compassion personal, but it is unsolicited. It is unsolicited. It is unasked. And it is spontaneous. This is a fascinating, really, story. Because Jesus sees this woman and He knows what this death means to her. He knows the condition that she will be left in with no one to provide for her. And He sees her and has compassion on her. He speaks comforting words to her and He acts on her behalf for her good. We're not told that the widow says anything. You notice that? The widow never says a word. And Jesus moves with compassion. He's aware. And He acts. What a beautiful picture there of the heart of Christ. Sometimes He acts without us ever asking Him. He's aware and He moves. We move on to the next passage. In Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Turn there with me. How are we doing so far? Doing all right? I'm moving fairly quickly, but I want to. This is a survey, survey of an emotion. And I want to put the pieces together and then bring it together for us at the end. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. And the narrative is quite long. I'm going to cut it short. Um, I assume you're aware of these stories. I'm not, going to t- I'm not going to read the entire story, but here beginning in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Matthew. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And we know how the story goes on. Jesus provides. He works this great miracle and He provides a meal in the wilderness for these 5,000 people, not counting women and children. But the context of the story is 
crucial to understand. Jesus is grieving here. Look at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about John, what, he had, what had he just heard about John? You look at the previous passage. He had heard that John had been beheaded. He had been killed by Herod in a terrible way. And John, you have to understand, is Jesus' cousin, at least a distant cousin. He's family. So this would have hit Jesus very personally. But it hits him personally, not just because he's family, but also because John is the forerunner. John is the one who's gone before Jesus to prepare the way for him. Calling the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation to repentance so that when Christ comes, the Messiah comes, they might accept him and receive him. And so this is very hard on Jesus. And he wants to be alone. It says it right here in our text. He withdrew. <laughs> He's grieving. When we grieve the loss of a loved one, we don't want to be in a crowd. We, we want to be alone. We want to be with those who are close to us. And this is the way Jesus is feeling. Mark's Gospel has the same story. And there it makes it clear that he and the disciples were not only grieving but tired. Worn out, hungry. In fact, it it tells us in Mark, they were so busy with ministry, they didn't have time to eat. And so they're they're worn out. They they, they, They need a break. Jesus knows they need a break. They get in the boat to go to some secluded place to check out, to rest, to grieve, to eat, to regroup. But what happens? A needy crowd figures out where they're headed and does a, what do you call that? Roundabout? (laughs) Gets there ahead of them. And they're coming to shore. There's a crowd of people. crowd of people. This would be a little bit like maybe having had a long, hard day at work. Maybe a long, hard week at work. And coming home with plans to relax, only to have your spouse greet you at the door with consternation that a water pipe has burst and there's water spewing everywhere in the house. Or maybe you moms had a difficult morning with the kids. They finally settled down for a nap. You've made yourself some tea. You found the chocolate stash. And you're about to sink into your comfy chair when the Amazon worker rings the doorbell and you freeze only to hear a cry in the back. A young child in need of help. And all your hopes for a quiet hour evaporates. Or maybe you students. I've got to pick on you students. You've had a long, hard week of studies. Lots of assignments. It's been tough. The life of a student is hard, is it not? And you're thinking about a relaxing game of volleyball. Friday afternoon. And on your way to the volleyball court, your phone rings and it's your brother or sister. And they need to talk. They're struggling. They've got a lot on their heart. They need a listening ear. Well, 
What emotion are we trying to suppress in those moments? <laughs> what emotion? Frustration? Disappointment? Anger? Self-pity? But what emotion spills out of Christ when he sees a crowd who has preceded him? Compassion. Splanknizomai. Doesn't get frustrated. Doesn't get angry at them. Get out of here. This is my break. Doesn't feel sorry for himself. But he feels compassion. Their need stirs something up within him. It's what naturally spills out of him, even when faced with the most inconvenient situation. Why? Well, Mark tells us, also Mark tells us, that it was again because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their spiritual condition. And he felt compassion for them. Well, what did the emotion compel him to do? To move towards them. To start healing their sick. To start teaching them what is true. And ultimately, to miraculously provide Bread and fish, food for all of them. They're in the wilderness. All right, we move on to our next passage, and this time we'll go to Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. This is the story that is very similar in some ways to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. Well, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I think that will be more helpful. 8 verse 1. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. That's as far as we'll go. But once again, he's going to work this great miracle, right? And provide food for this entire crowd. Now, although Jesus works a similar miracle as in the last story, the story in some ways is quite different from the last story. When we were told, when we were told that Jesus felt compassion for the people, we note here in this story that he had already been ministering to them for several days. In the last story, he's trying to get away from the people. But in this story, he's been with the people. He's been with them for three days, we're told. And he has compassion on them because he knows that they're hungry. In the previous story, his compassion is evoked over their spiritual condition. They're sheep without a shepherd. But in this story, what's fascinating about the story is that it's not so much their spiritual condition that causes him to feel compassion, but it's particularly their physical condition. He, he's aware of the fact that they're hungry. He's also aware of the fact that they don't have coolers with them, food with them. They're, they're not hiding anything. They're, they're, they're hungry. They have nothing to eat. And not only that, but he's also aware of the fact that if they start, if he sends them home, and they start walking home, they're so weak and so hungry, some of them will faint along the way. Christ in his omniscience, he knows these things. He's aware of them. He's aware of their physical condition. And he moves to meet 
their physical need. Isn't that quite something? He's aware of their physical need. And he moves to work this great miracle. So if the last story emphasizes Jesus' compassion over their spiritual condition, in this story it emphasizes his compassion over their physical needs. Isn't that encouraging? I hope that's encouraging. Just pause for a minute and say, Jesus is aware tonight both of your spiritual needs and your physical needs. He's aware of both. He's aware of your whole being. And he cares. He cares. He wants to meet those needs. What a wonderful Savior we have. Let's move to our last story. And this is in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. This is our final passage. And apart from that passage in Mark that I mentioned, these are the passages where Jesus' compassion is mentioned. Matthew chapter 20. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And we read this story, verse 29. Matthew 20, verse 29. And as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Verse 34, moved with compassion. There's our word again. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now, again, the context here is quite important to understand. Jesus is heading out of Jericho towards Jerusalem for the final time. He's moving towards Jerusalem where he will be betrayed, condemned, and crucified. And Jesus is fully aware of this. In fact, he's just told his disciples that all this is going to happen. It's on his mind. And there's a focus in this passage, in the surrounding context, on this movement towards Jerusalem. This movement towards the grand finale of Jesus' life. Look with me in the surrounding context. Look at chapter 20, verse 17. It says, As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. You hear that? Language of movement. Then chapter 20, verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, that movement. Then 21, 1, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage. And then look again at 21, uh, uh, 21, 10, when he had entered Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You hear this movement towards Jerusalem. And then in the midst of this grand procession towards Jerusalem, two insignificant blind men began to yell out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now Jesus is in this large crowd. It seems to always have a big crowd around Jesus. And they're moving and so... As far as I can tell, this is not a quiet crowd, a big crowd, all moving, all talking together. is probably a pretty noisy situation. 
and the blind men are yelling out, have mercy on me. And people are yelling back, shut up. And everyone's yelling. They're yelling even louder. And so this is a quite a, what's the word, cacophony of sound. And it would have been easy for Jesus not to have heard them or to have dismissed them especially given the importance of the journey that he is on, headed towards Jerusalem. But when Jesus hears their plea for mercy, he stops. This whole movement towards Jerusalem just stops. It's quite something. These men are crying out for mercy. Remember what we said about that word mercy, that word Eleos. It speaks of the outward. It emphasizes the outward act of good on behalf of a person. In other words, what are, the, what are the blind men asking? They're asking, help me. Do something for me. They're not asking him, feel something for me. They're asking him, do something for me. Help me out. But what is profound is that when Jesus hears that cry, we're not simply told that He has mercy, that He has eleos. We're told something much more profound. We're told that an internal feeling of compassion wells up within Him and it expresses itself on behalf of those in need. These two blind men. Splanknizomai. pours out of Him. Well, what do we learn in this particular passage? Well, we learn that Jesus' compassion is easily entreated. Jesus' compassion is easily entreated. No one has ever been turned away who has ever honestly called upon Jesus Christ for mercy. No one has ever been ignored who has come to Him for help. Jesus is easily entreated. He will stop everything for a cry, for help. It stirs compassion up within his heart. It moves him to act for the good of those in need. Well, these accounts give us reason to believe that perhaps every time Jesus stretched out his hand to heal, he was being moved with compassion. Every time he cast a demon out, every time he exercised his power for the good of a person, he did it out of a heart of compassion. It would, I think, be difficult to exaggerate Jesus' heart of compassion. And yet, at the same time, I think we have to be careful not to communicate the idea that every circumstance or every interaction with people evoked His compassion. Because as, we, as we're going to see next week, there are some circumstances and some interactions it, that evokes not Jesus' compassion, but his indignation and his anger. But still, his compassion is something that is highlighted across the pages of the Gospels. So what do we learn? How do we bring this together? What do we learn about Jesus' heart of compassion? I want to ask two questions. And the first question is this. Have we personally experienced Jesus' heart of compassion? Have we experienced what we're talking about here? What we've read about?
Let's think through together, just one after another. Let's think through what characterizes Jesus' heart of compassion. First of all, His compassion knows no limits. It's a wide compassion. Our need, even collectively, never overwhelms His capacity to demonstrate compassion. So it knows no limits. Secondly, Jesus' compassion is individual and personal. He cares not just for humanity in general, but He cares about individuals. He cares about people. Real people in real circumstances, in real life, with real struggles. Third, Jesus' compassion is at times unsolicited and spontaneous. He already knows our needs before we even ask Him. The greatest example of this is, of course, demonstrated at the cross. The book of Romans tells us that even while we were yet sinners, while we were still in this state of sin, well, before we even wanted Christ, before we were even interested in Him, before we even desired Him, He died for us. He had compassion on us. In mercy on us. Fourth, Jesus' compassion is what naturally comes out of him in the face of need. No matter how inconvenient, you bump into Jesus, out spills compassion. In the face of need, even inconvenient need, compassion is what is easily triggered. Next, Jesus' compassion is stirred both in the presence of our physical needs and especially in the presence of our spiritual needs. What I want to say here is that He is both concerned for your spiritual needs as well as your physical needs, but I would say this, our spiritual need is always more fundamental than our physical needs. He sees our helplessness. He sees our hopelessness. He sees at times our desire, even the fact that we give up. He sees us like sheep without a shepherd and He moves in to be that shepherd. Next, Jesus' compassion is easily entreated. Easily entreated. Even by the most insignificant people. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how important you are. doesn't matter the connections you have. You cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy and He has compassion on you. It stirs compassion within His heart. There's no one, I want to just say that, there is no one who's cried out for mercy, who has ever been rejected by God. There's no one. When we cry, Jesus has mercy on us. And He responds and He acts on our behalf. Next, Jesus' compassion always moves Him to act. And you'll note that, that there's never a passage that just says, Jesus felt compassion and then boom. Boom. 
Nothing happens. You know, blah. It just, it just dissipates. Every time he felt compassion, it moved him to act. It moved him to do something. It moved him to say something. It always moved him to act, though, for our good. For our good. Remember what we said last week about the purpose of emotions. God gave us emotions in order to energize our actions according to God's will. And you see that time after time in these passages. When faced with human needs, he allowed his compassions to be exercised and move him to act for the good of those in need. Next point, though. This is an important point. Jesus' compassion is expressed at great cost to himself. It would be a mistake to think of Jesus Christ the way you might think of Santa Claus with this big, you know, sleigh full of toys just disseminating good things to people out of his bounty. That's not the picture that we have in the Gospels. The picture that we have is that Jesus expressed compassion, exercised compassion at enormous cost to himself. See, why is it possible for Jesus to show compassion on sinners? Think about that. We as sinners do not deserve compassion. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve God to act on our good, for our good. We, we actually deserve judgment, right? We know this. We deserve punishment. And so why is it that Jesus can do this? Heal a blind man. Turn you know, a few loaves into thousands of loaves. Why, why can he do this? Because you see, he's going to a cross. And on that cross, he was going to pay the ransom price for many. He's going to pay the price for our sin. He's going to pay for our sin. Why? So that he could lavish his mercy upon us. See, if the payment's not paid, then God in his justice has to give us punishment. But because Christ has paid the ransom, he can pour out his mercy. And so that's the the reason why Jesus can do these things. The reason why he can show compassion on you and me and on all the and in these stories on these people is because he went to a cross and he paid the price. It was enormously costly to him to be able to exercise his compassion. Do you want to know what God is like? I invite you to look long and hard at this portrait of Christ. Because that's what God is like. He's like Jesus Christ. God is a God of compassion. He's a Father. He's a Father who when He sees His repentant Son far out in the distance, He feels compassion welling up within Him. And He runs towards His Son. And He embraces His Son. And he rejoices over his son. And he forgives and restores his son. That's God's heart of compassion. This is our God. Have you experienced his heart of compassion? That's the first question. Have you experienced that? Have you cried out 
for mercy? Have you experienced forgiveness? But the second question I want us to think about tonight is this question here. Do we exercise a heart of compassion towards others? Because really these stories, these passages that we've looked at, these five passages, they're both an encouragement for us to experience and learn about Jesus' heart of compassion, but they're also there as a call to imitate Christ's heart of compassion. Indeed, it's only those of us who have experienced his heart of compassion who are able to express and exercise a heart of compassion for others. And so do we share in Jesus' heart of compassion? When you think about that, ask yourself that question. Do I share in his heart of compassion for the lost, for the hurting? Let me ask you this question. What is it that rises up within us? I include myself because I'm in the same boat. What rises up within us when faced with the needs of others? What comes to the surface? Especially um, needs at a bad time, you might say. (laughs) What rises up within us? Is it compassion? Or is it irritation? Do we see the needs of others as an obstacle to our own well-being? Isn't it possible to do that? To see the needs of another person as an obstacle to me, to, to the way I'm going, to where I'm trying to go, head. What emotion is easily stirred within us by others? What comes quickly to the surface? Ask yourself this question Are we easily entreated, even by people we might consider insignificant? Is compassion within us easily entreated? When it's asked, when it's called upon, show me mercy. Are we stirred in our hearts over people's spiritual condition? Well, you see, as God's people, we're to imitate our Savior by being a people full of compassion, are we not? But it's important that we realize that it's possible to be be very religious and have a very hard heart towards people. We can be like the priest and the Levite, who when they saw that man half dead lying in the middle of the road, beaten up, stripped of everything, walked as far around him as possible, not to get involved not to get sucked in, not to, not to become unclean. But Christ calls us to be like that Samaritan, right? Who when he comes upon this man, we are told he felt compassion. Splunk knees of mine. And he bandaged his wounds and set him upon his own beast and took care of his needs, even at personal cost to himself. You see, Jesus is calling us to be like himself. Robert Law writes 
The man who can witness human want or suffering and pass by on the other side may be very religious in some way, but it is not Christ's way. He is not a Christian. Those are sobering words, aren't they? And so we ask ourselves tonight, are we Christians? Are we Christians? Have we experienced Jesus' heart of compassion for us personally? Have we experienced it personally? His heart for us? And have we been transformed by Christ into men and women of compassion for others? I love these words by Charles Wesley. They're a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer as I read these words. Love divine, all love excelling. Speaking of Christ, joy of heaven to earth came down. He came down to this earth. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. Christ, come, live within us. All thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Let's close in prayer. Father, this is our prayer. That you would visit us tonight with your salvation. That you would enter into our hearts. That you would make us a people of compassion. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.